Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back to Restore Gospel Podcast. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Shane Robinson. We are having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. We are on part four, what uh, restoration history and honest look. We've been talking about a seer, a prophet seer, revelator. We've been talking about uh, Joseph Smith, and today we're going to talk about was Joseph Smith not a seer, but the choice seer, in quotes, um, as discussed or as prophesied about in Second Nephi in the Book of Mormon. I did want to start with the Yerman Thummim briefly. Shane, just share a little bit about your experience last night. Well, I've been uh, working on some projects on the side. One of them is uh, working on the Book of Abraham and, uh, you know, understand, kind of looking at the history there and and was kind of kind of perplexed when I went to bed um, about it, just because I felt like there, there's really solid evidence that Joseph Smith did uh, bring forth that that book, which is now part of the Pearl of Great Price. And I just, you know, the evidence is is strong against the fact that it's it's you know not a revelation. And I just couldn't understand how he could spend all this time working on this document. Um, and presenting it to the church, you know, and, re- and review and viewing it as scripture, um, when he had been in God's presence, you know, he had um, brought forth the Book of Mormon, just the incredible testimonies that he had early on in the church. I just didn't understand how that how that could be brought forth and how he could, you know, feel good about it. I guess um, or believe that it was that it was true. And and so I went to bed, kind of upset, you know sort of in an attitude of prayer, but also, you know, a little bit of upset and grieving and a little bit of frustration uh, with Joseph and, and what he had done in the latter, in his latter part of his life. And when I woke up this morning, I just had this like clarity. I won't say that it was a revelation or anything, but it was just, I woke up with this peace and this clarity and just realized that, you know, like the, like the Urim and Thummim, um, the Urim and Thummim did not operate if the user was not in a, in a good state. Joseph Smith recorded multiple times that he had to, uh, he would look into, look into the Yermanthalum. If he didn't get any kind of, if he didn't see anything, then he knew that he wasn't right with God. And so he would go off and pray and get his right, he get his heart right, either become more humble or you know, he'd let go of anger or whatever it was that was blocking the spirit. And then he would come back and try again and it would work. And so it was really, really a great gauge for his current spiritual condition. And so uh, this realization that I had this morning was that we, Joseph no longer had the Yermanthome. And so all of his revelations, once the Yermanthome were taken, uh, were up to his spiritual condition. And he didn't have the Yermanthome to not function for him as a gauge. And so there were things that he did in his life that were not of God. And when you have, and the realization that I had is that when you have pride, it is easy to think or to feel that your thoughts are the spirit. And, and I think there was times where Joseph was lifted up in pride and we even, he, we even have revelation to that effect, you know, where he had to be humbled and, and um, put back in kind of put back in his place. And I think he struggled with that through his, through his life. And uh, so things like book of, like book of Abraham, uh, the Curl and Safety Society, Baptism for the Dead, a lot of these things. I believe that he, in, in his honest heart, was bringing those forth, believing they were the truth. But because of pride, he was th- seeing his own thoughts as the word of God. And that was a, a mistake. It's interesting. We have this, and uh, I had this quote already um, in our document here, but I we will do an episode, I think, just on the translation of the Book of Mormon. But I want to talk just uh, about this quote in church history and what David Whitmer said about uh, Joseph and the translation process. Uh, he says, um, The boys Joseph and Oliver worked hard early and late while translating the plates. It was slow work, and they could only write a few pages a day. 
And of Joseph, he continued, he could not do a thing except he was humble and just right before the Lord. I said, why not? He replied, the Urim and Thummim would look dark. He could not see a thing in them. How did it appear in them, we asked. His answer, the letters appeared on them in light and would not go off until they were written correctly by Oliver. Then Joseph could not pronounce the word. When Joseph could not pronounce the words, he spelled them out letter by letter. Uh, Joseph was a good man, but he had a hard task to manage with the people in the early days of the church. Okay, so um, that made the point there. But two things on that, Shane. Um, number one, it shows that he couldn't just grab a peep stone and start translating that it worked based on his uh, humility, what you just said, the opposite of pride. Right. And number two, um, he was using the Urim and Thummim and not any other method. I mean, I guess that's the same point. But anyway, but the, the, the point I'm being humble, that nothing would appear if he was proud. And, and I love what you just said, because when that was taken away, what was <laughs> where is that measuring stick of being prideful or, or humble? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was probably comforting to have the urine thumb because you, you could kind of gauge yourself. I mean, I think we really ought to be gauging ourselves every day. Where am I today? You know, where am I with in my walk? But, and Joseph was able to do that with a, a machine basically. Right. You know, we, we don't have that luxury, I guess. Right. Well, uh, today we're going to, before you go on, can you pull up that scripture or that uh, reference again? I wanted to point something else out that I think is pretty yeah. impactful. Go ahead. Um, okay, let's see right there where you've got where you've got, actually where you've got highlighted. It says the letters appeared on them in light and would not go off until they were written correctly by Oliver, which is interesting because that really shows that the Book of Mormon, at least the original manuscript, is truly the correct translation of those characters because they couldn't throw in any of their own ideas or you know quoting a Bible verse and saying, well, this is what it should be saying. Cause this is what it says in the Bible. And they, because it wouldn't even, it would stop giving them answers until they fixed it, which is, that's pretty impactful. I think. Yeah. And this is how, this is how it was translated, I believe. And there's, there's other people that say a variety of things, but for the people that were involved in there, there's a, there's information written down on how, and I believe every word was given through the Urim and Thummim just like it says, and, and if it was incorrect, it wouldn't go away until even if it was spelled correctly, according to to that account there. So that's pretty cool. Um, but, uh, well, since we're talking of David Whitmer, uh, I wanted to, we're going to talk just about why Joseph Smith, we already established he was a seer. He used the interpreters, the Urim and Thummim. We should probably call them interpreters. Uh, I guess he calls them Urim and Thummim. Not the same one that's mentioned in the Bible, uh, but the ones mentioned in all the way back uh, by the brother of Jared 2,000 years before um, Christ came. Uh, but we talked about this. Today, I want to talk about choice seer. Second Nephi brings up this phrase, choice seer, and this choice seer is more than just interpreting scripture. Um, he is going to do some crazy, amazing things. And I want to see what David Whitmer, you know, you and I were talking and David Whitmer kind of touches on some of these points. So this is just a synopsis. This is in his book addressed to all believers, uh, chapter 10. And here he sums up, uh, what, what he believes. So he says, first, the choice seer is to come from the seed of Lehi and Joseph Smith is not of that seed. Shane, what what seed was Joseph Smith from? You remember? Um, I can't remember offhand. Uh, he'd be a Gentile, right? Gentile, and I think maybe um, Ephraim. Not sure. Yeah, I, I I don't know if he had that in, in his in his record or not. I couldn't, not for sure. Right. But definitely the Book of Mormon prophesies that when it comes forth, it'll come forth from the Gentile, from the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's this is one thing. And, and David Whitmer knew that Joseph wasn't from uh, 
the seat of Lehigh. Uh, so I'm assuming he's thinking he is a, a Gentile. Um, second, he's to convince the Lamanites in person. And Joseph did not convince them in person. Um, as a matter of fact, I think David said, did, did, can anybody recall any time he went and even preached to the, quote, Lamanites or those that were considered the American Indians, maybe? Uh, but he certainly uh, did. Yeah, he made, he made multiple references that they were the, the descendants of, of the Book of Mormon, that the American Indians um, Indians of the Western states. And of course, Western at that time was, you know, Missouri and, you know, Oklahoma and that kind of thing. Um, but, and even, even further East, I guess mm-hmm. but, uh, he never, uh, I don't believe that I don't recall him ever going out and preaching among them. So, yeah. And even, even if the book went forth or they had opportunity to read it, he certainly didn't convince them. And, this is coming from Second Nephi, and I'm not going to go back over all of the scriptures we did last time, but uh, hopefully our listeners can read and decide if they agree or not or disagree with any of these on their own. But his third point was, his tongue will not be loose that he can speak much, and the Lord is to raise up a spokesman for him. And he says, Joseph Smith's tongue was loose to speak, he being a good speaker. And we have recordings of some of his sermons, but he definitely uh, could hold a crowd's attention and could speak uh, probably a lot better than he could write and spell. I don't know. <laughs> well, and yeah, and I'm thinking in terms of like devil's advocate, what, you know, what the other side might say about this is they might consider his writing. Um, he had people writing for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, scribes, you know, he had multiple scribes because he wasn't a very good speller and writer, but but as far as spokesman, like you said, he was very eloquent. Yeah, and that this refers to the tongue being loosed. So I think we're definitely talking about um, speaking. Yeah, I um, agree. Fourth, those who seek to destroy this seer will be confounded. This does not agree as being Brother Joseph because he was destroyed. Um, I think some of the LDS thoughts that I've heard are that Joseph is going to have to be reincarnated and come back and people there's a line of thinking that that's going to be take place that he holds certain keys to this dispensation but mainly because uh the things that he prophesied the things that were prophesied about him if he was the choice seer did did not yet come to pass or they didn't come to pass and so there has to be some way to rationalize and make those two ideas meld together that that if he was the choice seer that he'd I guess the conclusion is he, he has to come back and finish his work. Um, and so I don't believe that at all, but, um, but there are people that believe that. Yeah. Yep. All right. Fifth, the choice seer will be faithful and do strictly according to the command of God. Brother Joseph broke the commands of God from the beginning. So we see that brother Joseph was not this choice seer. And we have revelations in the doctrine and covenants that, um, where he is reprimanded early on. So those are some of the things that um, David Wintmer said, but this choice seer is going to, it seems like just be able to move a body of people, convince them of the word of God, convince them Jesus is the Christ, uh, convince them of the word that has already gone forth to them, it says. So these are, I think, things to consider if you've held to the belief that Joseph Smith was the choice seer in the Book of Mormon. Um, David Whitmer says that the Book of Mormon refers to the unlearned man and that early on that is the reference to Joseph, but but he precedes the choice seer. Um, and as David Whitmer says, uh, the doctrine of Christ is really plain, especially in the Book of Mormon, but prophecy is not, and the Lord intends for it to be that way. It's not plain and simple and um, black and white. It's, uh, it takes prayer, and sometimes it just takes time to see how things play out. But prophecy is not as easy to be understood as the doctrine of Christ, and we shouldn't make sure that we distinguish between those two. Right. Yeah, one little side note I was going to say was that, uh, you know, the, jo- uh, the choice seer, I think the choice seer, one of the choice seer's gifts would be discernment. 
And Joseph is, was clearly not a, a person of high discernment. And, and the reason I say that is because he, he repeatedly got people around him that were obviously evil, you know, um, you know, just like, like Brigham Young and some of the, some of the people that he chose um, to work with and chose some of the decisions that he made uh, were influenced by others and not obviously not, um, not from a source of, of wisdom and discernment. And I think Emma was the one that really kind of had the discernment in the family. She often set him straight and I can, I can identify with that because that's kind of the relationship I have <laughs> with my wife, you know, is that, you know, you, I think Joseph was kind of a dreamer and kind of, you know, and I don't mean this as a cut down. I'm just, I'm just speaking in general, you know, just in, based on what I've read that he was kind of a dreamer, kind of um, impulsive and kind of jumped right in and, you know, was, was dynamic and, you know, people liked him and he just had this kind of big personality. And, and I think he was the type that would sort of jump at opportunities, you know, like, you know, someone says, you know, Hey, I hear there's gold up in the Hills. Okay, let's go. You know, just kind of this sort of impulsive, just sort of jump in kind of person, which God can use obviously. Um, but I think that in terms of being a choice here that is constantly producing revelations and really is walking and talking with God, kind of a, an Enoch type character would have to have the gift of discernment as, as a natural gift that God's given them. Oh Yeah. Well, since you mentioned uh, Emma Smith uh, and her discernment, uh, here's just a quote. Um, thanks for helping me find this, by the way. Uh, it says, what do you think of David Whitmer? And since we're using David Whitmer, uh, some of his thoughts, you know, I grew up thinking that David Whitmer was this, this guy that was excommunicated from the church because he had crazy beliefs and he didn't believe what the church believed. And uh, I heard the term Whitmerites growing up. Uh, you know, there was a list of things. Oh, they, they don't believe in the, the Doctrine and Covenants and certain offices and all kinds of. So David Whitmer, um, that none of that's true, by the way. He left the church. Now, whether the church excommunicated him after, but he left the church at the God's command when the church started going astray and just kind of had, uh, well, just proceeded to believe in the Book of Mormon and the things of the Lord, but, but wasn't affiliated with the church. That was before Joseph Smith died. But Emma says, um, 1838, what, right? I think he left in 1838. Sounds about right. Yeah. But, uh, Emma was asked, this is in the, um, the saints Herald. They did an interview with her and she is actually, I think ended up being her last interview because she died shortly after that. And so they printed it in the Herald, but the question was asked to her, what, what do you think of David Whitmer? And she just plainly says, David Whitmer, I believe to be an honest and truthful man. I think what he states may be relied on. So Emma, and there's other, I think another place she talks about him. I couldn't find it last night, but I've read it a couple of times recently. Emma held him in high regard. And with all of the people that had left the church and had started other churches, yeah, this was at the very end of her life. She, she, believe that he was one that could be trusted and believed so that's that's pretty neat because he had had a lot of things printed in newspapers and um, of course he wrote a book at the end of his life and addressed to all believers that we're using so interesting side note on her opinion of of david yeah i think she had discernment i she she said and did things uh throughout her life that really confirmed to me that she was in tune with the spirit well, we could go into um, Joseph Smith. I was looking for, uh, I thought you had, we want to ask the question, was Joseph Smith, we know he, we believe he was a seer, but was he, um, well, here's a question. We'll just read it here. Is there precedent to have a prophet, seer, revelator over the church? Was there anyone in history receiving almost day-to-day -day revelation on what to do? And what happens when a revelation does not come true? I guess that's a question too. But Shane, what's your thoughts on, is there precedent to have a prophet, quote, prophet, seer, revelator, we could throw in there, president um, as the head of the church? 
Well, I would say prior to uh, Joseph Smith and the you know setting up of the church in 1830, I would say no. Um, the Old Testament had prophets, and but when Christ came and the veil was rent, we no longer had to have a, 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 medi- a mediation or a mediator between us and God. It, it became Jesus, um, he, and when Jesus left. Uh, he didn't ever, he didn't assign a prophet. He had 12 apostles and, but didn't put one in charge of everybody. And then the same in the new world. Um, he had the 12 disciples and didn't assign a prophet here as well when the church was established in the new world. So I don't see any precedence for there being a, an office of prophet. There's lots of examples of prophets where you know, people that prophesy, but uh, as a priesthood office, I'm, I don't, I don't see that in scripture. Yeah, just let that sink in for a minute because I understand this is really, really a hard thing for the restoration to wrap their minds around. The even the thought that that Jesus Jesus never set up one person to be the final authority over the church. In, like you said, in the Book of Mormon or in the Bible, if this was really the case, wouldn't it, wouldn't Jesus Himself have made that clear? Now, I understand, like the Catholics would say, well, Peter, Peter was that one person, and that's how they 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 maybe follow their line of authority down through the Pope or the and we well we we have this thought this line of succession. Uh, the RLDS would hold to the lineal idea of that, and Joseph the Third, and so on. Uh, the um, the LDS don't. Um, I think it's the most senior apostle. I don't, and that may have changed for them is who takes over if the prophet leaves. But this idea of one leader over the church, I understand that's a really hard concept to even ask the question: Is this the way the church should function? Because we're we just accept that it is, and I think. A lot of people are praying and waiting for a next prophet to arrive and to set everything in order. Hard, hard way to think about things. Yeah, and if you believe in lineal secession, it, it would it really narrows down the possibilities, and I think that has led to some of the some of the groups that have formed because they've formed around a you know some kind of a, a cousin or nephew or niece or, or whatever of the Smiths, and. I think people are deceived because they join assuming, well, it's a direct descendant. It has to be a direct descendant. So, you know, maybe I'll go with that direction. And I think it's my understanding that a lot of that comes from the book of Abraham, the lineal, um, the lineal nature of priesthood and that that was used to uh, kind of bolster that, that line of thinking. Um, and some people held to that when they came back into the reorganization. It's mentioned early on in the Saints Herald that lineal priesthood. And I think even the Book of Abraham was quoted as a reference or a, a foundation for that line of thinking. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not a very long book, but, um, but yeah, it heavily focuses on priesthood authority, uh, priesthood office, lineal succession, um, the Godhead. Um, you know, kind of those topics of the day in 1835 are the topics that it was speaking to. Mm-hmm. So, interesting question. Is there one person? Um, Joseph gave a revelation. Uh, there was a man named Hiram Page, I believe, that was using a stone or was trying to give revelation to the church. And Joseph then gave a revelation that says only the prophet, only the head of the church can give commandments that are binding on the church. That's in our Doctrine and Covenants uh, and the LDS Doctrine and Covenants. Only the prophet, only, only him could give, could speak for the Lord to the church a commandment that needs to be followed. That's, I don't know... Um, I mean, think about that for a minute. Is there precedent for that in the scriptures? I guess you could say Moses and the Ten Commandments, which... Um, yeah, I mean, there's... The Old Testament prophets were a little bit different, though, because they were 
they were standing in the stead of Christ. They were acting as mediator. Um, you know, not that they're not that they were at the same as Christ, but they were um, kind of doing his duty since he had not come in the flesh and, and done what he had done. The, the veil was not rent. So to enter the Holy of Holies, you had to be that assigned person, that assigned high priest um, to, you know, to go in and perform those sacrifices. Um, he, God chose Moses. And when, and for example, I think it's in Numbers 12, when, when Marion and, and Aaron sort of pushed back, God, uh, God, you know, gave Marion leprosy and because, because of her pride and basically said, this is my servant you're going to, you're going to do what he says. And, you know, kind of establishing his, his authority for them as, as their prophet, as their leader. Um, but that was, that was old Testament. And that was a time where we didn't have human beings did not have direct access to God, the father. And with Christ now here, we have or have having come and died and the veil was rent in the temple. We now have direct access. So I guess the thing for me is when you think about what is the purpose of a prophet, you look at Old Testament prophets, you know, they they brought forth the word of God. They called the people to repentance. They prophesied of, of future events. But I know I don't recall them ever being, you know, um, administrative. It was more about the spiritual life of the people and we we've focused heavily in, in since Joseph's time, we've focused heavily on the administrative part of it. It's always been kind of a power struggle of, you know, who, who, did, who makes the decisions. And we've seen that both in the, in the LDS church and in the RLDS church and the other factions as well. These sort of this constant struggle for power um, in terms of the needs of the people today uh, for what a prophet would have provided in the old Testament. If you needed, if you need guidance, you can go to God directly now. Um, if you needed spiritual strength, you can go to God directly. Not there are God still uses men to call others to repentance, um, but the the way is now available for us to receive prophecy and be led by by God directly. And so the need for a for a mediator is is no longer. Yeah, the scriptures talk about the law and the prophets being fulfilled in Christ. And uh, Hebrews speaks about uh, in times past, God spoke through the prophets. Uh, but in these last days, or in these latter days, he speaks through the Son himself, Jesus Christ. So if uh, the gift of prophecy uh, available in the church as a gift of the Holy Spirit for men, women, children, to utilize through the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit moves. Uh, as far as being one specific prophet, um, and I guess if somebody has the gift of prophecy and it really is from the Lord, you could label them a prophet. Um, yeah. Who knows well, who's going to, you know, is there going to be a prophet that comes on the scene to call us to repentance before God just wipes off this filthy, wicked generation that's come upon the land of you know the united states uh but as far as a president leading the church that that's that says i am the only one that can give you the word of god that's um it's hard to think about and step back because we're, we're programmed to believe that but just think about that for a minute everything hangs on one person right. one person to reveal the mind and will of god and that's not even the and that's not even the precedence in the Bible. We, you know, you have the 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 prophets around like Zedekiah, Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah. A lot of those guys were contemporary with one another. Their lives overlapped. There wasn't a single one prophet at the time. And even in the Book of Mormon, so you've got Lehi, who is commanded by God to go to Israel, go or we go to Jerusalem, and and basically tell them, prophesy to them that Israel is going to be destroyed. And we know that the prophet Jeremiah was alive during his time. So they had a prophet. Why, would they, why wouldn't they use Jeremiah if, if you just have a prophet? Why wouldn't God have just used Jeremiah? But he chose to use Lehi, who we, you know, he was tribe of Manasseh, and we don't have any record that he was any kind of a, a priesthood, you know, office or authority. He was just the authority that he had came directly from God saying, go into the city and preach. 
You know, and that's really, that's the example you see in the Book of Mormon is that men are, men are told by God to do something and they go do it. And there's not sort of this formal organizational structure that, you know, lineal secession thing that leads to their, their calling. They're, they're just called by God. Uh, another one, another example is Alma. He received the, he received the, the Holy Spirit and the power to baptize without having been ordained or anything. And he even baptized himself. Uh, in the waters of Mormon, and then continue to baptize everyone else. And so, and of course, that, that's not really prophet necessarily, it's, but it's priesthood in our uh, current, in our understanding, modern understanding. And I think that we, we, are, we are so focused on sort of the, um, like official position, the title and, and the, you know, the, the organizational aspect of priesthood and of prophets and, and all that that we we've taken a lot of our mind or our focus off of the spiritual part of it, which is what is the only part that really matters. So here's a thought. Um, when you do have one person, one president, prophet, seer, revelator over the church, what happens when that person's murdered to the church, when everything has become so reliant on that person, look what happened. Right. I mean, power struggle for authority, people clamoring to be the next in line, mm -hmm. uh, different churches starting up, um, wickedness, wicked men take their place and, and institute things. And, and what's crazy is it leads to the fact that, you know, Brigham Young had to change journals and rewrite history and come up with thoughts and revelations that Joseph told to him, but never wrote down all because they have to hold up this office, this, this leader, um, this one true person to give the will of God. I mean, it, it was so heavy that Brigham had to make sure that people thought what he was doing was coming from Joseph in a roundabout way. Right. Right. So yeah, and you can even take that to the modern, more modern history in the RLDS uh, you know, and after 1984, when the church split apart and the restoration branches were all formed, since that time, we've had multiple groups that have formed. And they've, to my knowledge, the only thing that they have formed around is the organization. In other words, some person says, well, we have the right, you know, we are, say, we're a quorum of 70. So we have the right, the, the lineal right to decide on to, to take over the leadership of the church. And here's why we've got all these scriptures showing why and precedents and church history. And, you know, and it's all centered around sort of the, the technical reason why, and not necessarily a true calling from God, a true, you know, visit by an angel, you know, authoritative call from God. The authority is all based on this um, right, this logical right of, of, of ownership. And you've got quorums of 70s doing it. You got quorums of high priests doing it. And then they're calling us of quorums. And, you know, it may, may not be that many people, but they're a quorum in their minds. And so they form these new churches. Some of them are renamed. Some of them aren't renamed, but they just sort of function as a church. And have, uh, a, um, have prophets like that. that are um, somehow tied in um, DNA, lineal. Right. Lineal yeah. Joseph. Nephews and third cousins and yeah, you know, trying to kind of claim that right to that organization. And, and it's, it's all based on a false pretense. And the false pretense is, is that this organization is not an organization of man. It's, it's from God. And if God is not calling you, then you have no right to do it, no matter what your lineage or, or your title uh, gives you. So. Yeah. Um, the very word restoration um, lends itself that somehow something was set up that was this historical uh, truth from the beginning. And it's now put back in place in that, you know, everything Joseph was revealing and the structure of the church somehow was, was that way through history and through time. Um, priesthood authority perhaps, but structure of the church and, and this idea of a prophet was always, you know, that this idea was being restored and um, revealed now. Uh, it wasn't revealed in the Book of Mormon. 
which was the main purpose of the whole 1830 era was the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, um, not revealing, you know, new truths about how a, you know, the church and these offices, David Whitmer, uh, in his book says that at the beginning, before the church was formed before 1830, he said, many of us were prophesying, you know, through the Holy spirit. I, he said, I, I gave prophecy that came true through the Holy spirit, but only one, you know, was able to have a book and have them written down that became the, and that was Joseph that became the kind of the go-to manual in the last days, unfortunately, instead of the book of Mormon. Right. Yeah. The, the fruits are really, are really, that's really the evidence of everything. And it, it's, it's sad, but almost comical that we say, well, we are so few in number. And the reason is that is because in the last days, it says that, you know, that, that few there will be shall, that will find it, you know, and that the, that the, it'll be a tiny, a small handful of remnant of people that, that, you know, that God, that Christ returns to. And we, we sort of use that as our excuse for why we're, we're so small in numbers. But to me, it's not the numbers that's the issue. The issue that I see is that I, we're just not seeing the, the kind of spiritual manifestations that they saw in the early church. And when I'm a early, I'm saying 1829 early church. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how many times, have you seen someone speak in tongues and it be real and be with interpretation? How many times have you seen an angel uh, appear in the congregation and, and minister to the people? You know, and, and that doesn't mean it's not happened. I'm not saying that at all. But in terms of the frequency of it, and you know, if you go to if you go to prayer service, and I I assume this is true for probably most restoration, most, most branches in general, or you know, LDS, RLDS, you name it, I'd say most prayer services consist of testimonies like. I was trying to find my car keys and I found them and things like that. We're not, we're not hearing the kind of testimonies that they were experiencing in those early days when the church was, was new and humble and, and, and not so complicated as it's become. Um, yeah. That's a reflection of our walk with the Lord where we're at as a people. So interesting uh, thoughts on prophet, uh, what about the other word that's that's linked together, prophet, seer, revelator? Um, what uh, do you see a difference between prophet and revelator? I I think the word prophet, and in, in, at least in one place, is defined as a knowledge of Christ that we should all be prophets from that regard, have a testimony of Jesus. Um, people have defined and redefined the word, but what do you see as revelator? Is that any different in your mind or separate? Um, well, of course, the root, root word is reveal. Uh, I would say a, a prophet, you know, is someone that reveals the truth. It may be a future truth. Um, I, w- I guess prophet maybe is more focused on the future and revelators may be more focused on the present. I don't know. Just a thought. Yeah. Or maybe ex- explaining um, a truth that's already gone forth and in, in mm-hmm. greater degree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, how do you judge a prophet if they are truly a prophet? I think the standard's pretty easy, right? <laughs> yeah. Does what they say come true? Right. right. Well, I this is <laughs> this is called an honest look at restoration history. So it's you know, I'm sure some things we say sound offensive or could be offensive. We're we are not intending to offend anyone, but this is a place that we take an honest look and ask questions. And I know some of these are probably questions that people wish wouldn't even be asked. But you have to ask the question, did Joseph Smith ever reveal or prophesy things that did not come true? And I would say he did. What What is your response to that, Shane? Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, de- he definitely brought forth some things that are not that I don't believe are true, that have you know not born forth, have not have shown that they're not true in terms of revelations. I'd have to look at his, the list of the revelations, but I, I know of a few things that he prophesied of that, that did not happen. Yeah. Section 83 comes to mind, um, building the temple in this generation that the sons of Aaron and Levi would offer up a, uh, basically a repentance type of offering to the Lord in that temple. And, uh, I've heard people try to explain that away, but, uh, and say, well, the, the Kirtland Temple was built in this generation, but that prophecy 
that scripture is very clearly, in my opinion, speaking of independence, because it talks about where it's going to be, a spot west of the courthouse. Um, and when you read it honestly and look at it, I just simply say that didn't happen. It didn't come true. That temple was never built and the saints were run out and moved to Nauvoo. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the temple being built in Nauvoo was completely uh, different. There was, at least I don't see this linkage of a place where the priest would go and offer up this deal, but it was for baptism for your dead. Uh, and then from there it just goes downhill and all kinds of other things that were tied into the temple. So that's one thing. Um, another one is in, and this is in the Joseph Smith papers. I, I could bring it up if we want to see it. Um, well, I'm not going to take time to look at it right now, but uh, Joseph gave a instruction revelation that they should go up to Canada and sell the copyright of the book of Mormon. Cause there were people up there who were buying copyrights and that would give them money and that they would find a man be directed to someone that would purchase that and give them money um that those men did go north and they did come back empty-handed and didn't find um someone to buy the copyright it was it was a well, and yeah i think the i think we ought to give a little bit of background on that as to why so that so martin harris was trying to sell part of his farm to pay help pay for the the printing and uh hiram was not a fan of martin harris and so, and since he had already lost 116 pages, uh, was, you know, he, he was pretty upset about that with, you know, good reason. Uh, and so Hiram was pushing Joseph to, to have, you know, to find, go to God and find some, some ways to make, you know, to make money. So they didn't have to rely on Martin Harris's, uh, gift or loan or whatever. And, uh, and so that was, Joseph was getting pressure to go to God. And, uh, and so I think he, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, he went to him the first time and God told him no. And then he, he went again and God said, okay, fine, go. Kind of like a, a asking Israel, asking for kings kind of situation. Is that how you remember it? Yeah, I, I copied this from the Joseph Smith papers. Uh, actually, let's see if this link, there it is. This is actual, the actual handwriting. Um, Revelation given to Joseph, Oliver, Hiram, uh, Josiah Stoll, Joseph Knight. It didn't York. pop up on the screen. I don't. Oh, it didn't. Okay, hey, hang on a second. Sorry. Let's uh, put a new tab. I'm glad you're there to to uh, make sure. Yeah, shoot. Hang on a second. Well, I can't get that tab to pull up for some reason, software glitch or whatever. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, the, these four guys were told to uh, to go to the to go to Canada. Um, I'll, re I'll just read it for you here. I, the Lord, am God. I created the heavens and the earth, and all things that in them is. Wherefore they are mine. I hold my scepter over all the earth. You're in my hands and will to do that. I can deliver you out of every difficulty and affliction. Uh, I've covenanted with my servant that earth nor hell combined against him shall not take the blessing out of his hands, which I have prayed for him. If he walketh uprightly before me, neither the spiritual or, and not the temporal. Um, it pleases me that Oliver Cowdery, Joseph Knight, Hiram Page, and Josiah do stole shall do my work in this thing, yea, even in securing the copyright, and they shall do it with an eye single to my glory, that it may be the means of bringing souls unto salvation through mine only begotten. Behold, I am God and have spoken it. Wherefore I say unto you that you shall go to Kingston, seeking me continually through mine only begotten. If you do this, you shall have my spirit to go with you, and you shall have an addition of all things which is expedient in me. I grant unto my servant a privilege that he may sell a copyright through you speaking after the manner of men of the four provenances. And it goes on. Um, the way is before you. I will prepare a way and a blessing. I hold in mine own hand 
if ye are faithful. I will pour out upon you even as much as you are able to bear. And this shall be, Behold, I am the Father. It is through mine only begotten, which is Jesus Christ, your Redeemer. So that's the revelation that uh, tells them to be able to go to uh, to go to Canada and to <clears throat> secure that copyright. So interesting. Um, that obviously didn't didn't take place, right? Well, um, anything else on that? Uh, that's that's two that. And there's other things, but not trying to to put Joseph down and not say he never had revelations. But I think it went back to what you said at the very beginning when you uh, when you're humble and when you're um, using that and that humility that you can understand the will of God. If if there's pride, then you get revelations that aren't. And then when they came back from there, they they. <laughs> The, the guys were kind of like when David Whitmer talks about this, they're kind of like, Hmm, well, that didn't pan out the way we thought. And Joseph said, uh, you know, you could get revelations that are from God. You get revelations that are from the devil and you get revelations that are from men. And apparently they thought, well, this must've been a revelation from men. You know, it wasn't from God. Well, just think about that. I mean, when that really makes you take a gut check, doesn't it? Like when, yeah, when the person that is kind of set up to be the one person that speaks from God says there's different kinds of revelation that can come forth. Yeah. And I think that, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, David Whitmer. He made, he made a reference to that. He said that in the beginning, when Joseph brought forth the book of Mormon, it was just so incredible, you know, that they just, they were just so amazed at this amazing experience and, and, witness that, that had been brought forth and then him being one of the witnesses of the plates i mean he saw the plates and you know so one of the three witnesses so i mean that was such a beautiful thing for him to be able to experience so, and then so he just assumed he, he made this statement that he just assumed that everything joseph brought was from the lord because it was what he what he had seen already was just so amazing and i can totally understand why he would feel that way you know after having been experienced that you would just be walking on cloud nine and the emotions would just kind of take over and, you know, you just sort of chase after everything that's brought forth just because you, you believe it to be true because you had such solid evidence of the first experiences with the Book of Mormon and the angel and all the things that they experienced right there at the beginning. And I think it, when he wrote those, that book, it was like what the 1880s, I think it was. So he was an old man looking back on his life and realizing that, you know, kind of being able to get that 30,000 foot view, like you and Corey always talk about mm -hmm. able to see and say, okay, here's where we kind of went off the rails. Here's where I was deceived. Here's where Joseph was deceived. And, you know, he didn't, one thing I really liked about his writings was <clears throat> he didn't seem to look back with any malice towards anybody. He, he spoke highly of Joseph, was respectful, told him, said he was his brother. He loved him and was just kind of honest about it saying, you know, we were, we were deceived in some of those things that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I like is he uses the minimal amount of evidence. He, you know, he, there's times when he says, I could give you, you know, many more examples, but I'm, that it would seem like I'm trying to ruin the character of someone and I've made my point and that's not right. my intention. So that's kind of a couple examples we give, but the intent is not to show everything Joseph did wrong at all is uh, there's so many beautiful things in the restoration. Uh, I did pull up this, picture here just if you're in you can see the handwriting of john whitmer who is a church historian that wrote this revelation down on the joseph smith paper so we do have that um and it is a real a real thing and multiple men david whitmer was there when they came back and testified so it's a pretty well demonstrated fact that this happened so anyway that's a couple things so in summing up today Shane, uh, before we leave, anything else on prophet, seer, revelator you want to add? No, there was one other experience that, though, that uh, Joseph brought that 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 made me rem I remembered it uh, as we were talking, and that is there was a and I don't have it pulled up, I don't have the date on it, but it's in the Joseph Smith papers. There was notes to a meeting; uh, they were like the minutes of a of a business meeting, and in those minutes, the the author of, of the the meeting mentioned that brother Joseph stood up 
and gave revelation, spoke to the group and gave a revelation that, that Zion would be redeemed in 56 years. And that was in, uh, and that was in, uh, I believe 1835. And so it would have been uh, 1891 is when it would have, it was either, either Zion being redeemed or Jesus coming or both. I can't remember specifics, but obviously none of those things happened uh, per that experience. And, I mean, again, it's a second hand. It's, you know, it's the minutes from a meeting, but it, you know, it's, it's from that period of time and an eyewitness that had no, was not trying to make Joseph look bad or anything. It was just, it was just general notes from a meeting. So there's, there's other evidences too. And like, I think like David Whitmer said, we don't need to tear, we're not trying to tear down Joseph in any way, but I think it's important that we're honest about, about the fact that he was a man. We're all, we're all human beings, you know? Well, let me close the book on this one just to <clears throat> put a little period at the end here. We asked Joseph, uh, we asked Joseph, he wrote how it was that he received a revelation from the Lord for some brethren to go to Toronto and sell the copyright, and the brethren had utterly failed in their undertaking. Joseph reportedly inquired of the Lord through the Urim and Thummim, and according to Whitmer, received a revelation that stated, some revelations are of God, some revelations are of man, and some revelations are of the devil. So, and that, and that came through the year of them, right? That's what David Wintmer says in his, uh, you could read that in his book. I copied and put it in here. Yeah, it says six decades later, David Wintmer questioned the le legitimacy, legitimacy of this revelation because of their failure. Um, so I wanted to, uh, well, here's the section 83. We talked about that. Um, you know, the, the kind of scary thing about this, Mike, is God. God has a his showing a history of allowing people to do the things that they want to do, even when it's to their detriment. It's, you know, he like lets us learn our lessons. I, th I think we always go back to Israel, how badly they wanted those Kings and it just, it ruined them. And then he, and God knew that it would. And, mm -hmm. and I, I think we've seen that over multiple times in, in the restoration as well, where, the people just wanted something so bad or Joseph wanted something so bad. And, and God said, okay, here you go. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a kind of a sobering reminder that be careful what you ask for, <laughs> you know? Yeah. David Whitmer's own um, patriarchal blessing is another kind of example of things that didn't happen where he was told that he would have a great work in Zion and be this uh, mighty quiver the Almighty, he shall be in the quiver of the Almighty, bringing about the redemption of Zion. And that's another thing that really, I think the early church and Joseph, uh, as far as being a revelator or prophet, a misunderstanding of revealing the Lord's will for Zion that really caused a lot of people to lose hope and wonder why it hasn't happened and why am I not raising my children in Zion and how many times were they told that, you know, the Lord was going to redeem Zion uh, and completely really not teaching the revelation and prophecy in the Book of Mormon that talks about things that need to trans transpire first so that at least you could get the timeline right and not feel continually like like we're failures and that, you know, we've, we're just not righteous enough and we're not coming together enough. And those are the kind of things that uh, you, you beat each other up and the priest beats the sheep and, and the sheep argue with one another. It's your fault. It's my fault. It's, you know, it's <laughs> that we don't have Zion. And the reality is um, prophecies haven't come forth and been fulfilled yet regarding the house of Israel. So once those things happen, then we can beat each other up about why we, we don't have Zion. <laughs> but, but, but seriously, it's like, it's not the issue. It's not, let's look at what needs to happen and what we can expect to happen first. Yeah. So these are some things I think. Uh, so final thoughts on this. Does this take away hope from people? Uh, is the thought that that's unsettling. It was, look how unsettling it was to the church that had an active living prophet when he died. Um, uh, I think we're in generations now, people growing up without this. So it's not probably the same culture, the same type of feeling. Um, of course, my parents culture to watch the prophet give a false revelation and, and you know a lot of them left the church and went to restoration branches 
that was probably tragic. And still, I know there's a lot of hurt nowadays still over that. Right. But what, what, where is the hope then? Um, if where is the hope, if you don't have a man, uh, giving you the will of God, um, well, I think um, that's go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. You, you answer. I okay. have... <laughs> well, I think that's the issue. The hope, our hope is in Christ. And, and it, and it, I think we, we sort of get, uh, we get pigeonholed as, as Protestants if we keep, if we say that, but that is scriptural. You know, we, we only hope in Christ. And if we are relying on another person to tell us what we need to do or give us direction, then we are leaving Christ out of that relationship. We're leaving. We're, we're letting someone else take His place. And I think we we have. And I don't mean that as a canned answer. You know, your hope is in Christ. It sounds canned, but it. We as a church have become reliant on the arm of flesh, and until we develop our own personal experiences, our own personal relationship with Christ, where we're speaking to Him daily, we're in His Word daily. We're working towards that um, that eternal goal of the of what God has for us. That you know, all the prophecies that have been given all lead towards one final end, and that is us going back into the presence of our heavenly Father and Him keeping the covenant with us and us keeping our covenant with Him. And, and if until we do that, until we actually do that in our individual lives, then all of what we've all we've done over these last you know thousands of years in terms of the church is for nothing. And uh, so and I'm sorry to go off on a sermon, but I think that's really the, the, the real central theme of the Book of Mormon is that Jesus and God, God has made covenants with man. And now he wants us to know about them and keep them and be able to come back into his presence. Yeah. It sounds a little trite or simplistic right when you say well we just we just need to go straight to jesus we just need to trust in in jesus uh because we we say that but then there's a lot of side notes we have all this baggage of what we think should happen and what we need and structure and things but the gospel the pattern from the beginning not so much how priesthood structure is but is to repent and and come unto christ with with all of your heart with all of your soul Mm-hmm. and allow him to to bless you well you look at if you look at the church uh when christ established it in the old world they they it was established obviously on the correct principles of, of love your neighbors yourself love the lord your god love your heart my mind and strength and it was a simple clean gospel and over time through man and his his conventions his organizations and such it turned into the catholic church where you had all these rituals and they were selling sacred objects and, you know, splashing water on people and doing all these, you know, paying for your paying a, a, an actual dollar amount for your, to be forgiven of sin and have holding these popes up and raising up uh, men of the past up on pedestals and calling them, you know, the saints and St. Peter and St. Paul and St. Jude and all these things. And it, it just became this large, organizational animal and the spirit was gone. And I think we've seen that in the restoration as well. We've, we've, we've got all these things that have been built up and, you know, and not to pick on the LDS, but the LDS has kind of taken it to the extreme in terms of all the temple rites and all the celestial marriage and the ceiling and the baptism for the dead and the um, special garments they wear in the temple. And all of those kind of things are reminiscent of what you saw happen with the Catholic church. And they're, they're a, a physical perversion of, of a spiritual truth. And man, for some reason, we always tend to go that direction away from just the simple, basic truth of the gospel of Christ. Well, I hope we looked at this subject a little bit. Prophet, see your revelator. Uh, no final, we're not, we're not giving anybody a, a final way to think about things, just an honest look at the history and asking questions and trusting that people will seek out uh, the Lord and his spirit as they read these things and, and ask questions. And, but I do want to say, never forget the awesome love Jesus has for each one of us and that the book of Mormon record and, and how he speaks about 
his plan for us and, and coming to him and repenting is so important. So be engaged in reading that as often as you can. It's beautiful truth and brings you close to our creator. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, one thing I was going to say, I, I hope that anybody listening does not hear what we're saying as disheartening about Joseph Smith or any things that have occurred, because to me, it's, it's just shows that we're all in the same boat. We're all yeah. centered. We're all weak. We all need a savior. You know, that's kind of the evidence I see. Absolutely. Well, um, until next time, Shane, thanks for being here. Uh, you, and we'll get together soon. All right. We'll see you.